This week on Geek Explained, we're taking a look at the CW's Arrowverse for the first annual Geek Explained Arrowverse Power Rankings. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about the Arrowverse. That's right, we are debuting a brand new Geek Explained power rankings for the CW's Arrowverse. Uh, the Arrowverse has expanded from its humble beginnings as just one small uh scrappy show that being arrow into this whole universe with infinite earths a whole multiverse under its belt and here in this episode we're going to be looking at where each of those shows stack up and which is the best we're going to be looking at the rankings from worst to best we're going to be talking about each show uh its positives its negatives and i'm hoping to make this kind of an annual thing uh this first one is going to be the 2020 edition and as these shows go on as seasons go by uh, we're going to see where it goes. We also have our brand spanking new weekly review, a giant-sized weekly review on Season 2 of Doom Patrol, and the return of this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. <laughs> Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, and we've got news in all four categories. I know, it's wild. Uh, we're going to start off with the miscellaneous category, uh, starting off with some game news. Uh, PlayStation recently had its state of play where it showed off a bunch of new stuff, including revealing the PlayStation 5, uh, showing off some gameplay and um, brand new trailers for games that will be dropping with the console and it looks like Xbox is ready to retaliate they're going to be stepping up to the plate on July 23rd for their Xbox showcase uh, it's going to show off some of the new hardware with the Xbox Series X hopefully some new games hopefully uh, we'll get more than the uh, not gameplay gameplay trailer for Assassin's Creed um the new Vikings Assassin's Creed, and we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. There's also rumors that they're looking at uh, buying WB Games. We talked about this previously, um, how AT&T is looking at possibly selling off WB Games to, I guess, get all the money back that they're spending on HBO Max. I don't know. But uh, Xbox and Microsoft might be interested in buying them, probably to compete with uh, PS4 having Spider-Man, God of War, and stuff like that. Um, and I think it would it makes sense from a business perspective as someone who owns both of the current gens of uh, the Xbox One and the PS4. I don't know if I'm going to have to make a decision between the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. Uh, first off, I just don't know if I'm going to have the space for that. Those two consoles are massive, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. In audio news, we've got 
our first official trailer for Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, which is coming to Audible uh, later on this year. It sounds great. I mean, <laughs> it's a teaser trailer just showing off like one piece of dialogue. Uh, it's a star-studded cast. It really is. It's just tons of great actors on this. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see exactly what happens there. Moving on to comics news. Uh, Marvel got a big win this past week when it announced that it has acquired the comics rights to both Alien and Predator. Both were previously uh, Fox-owned, and so a lot of their comics came through other publishers like Dark Horse uh, and others. But this is kind of big news because Marvel Comics now uh, has both the Marvel Universe, Star Wars, and now they've got Alien and Predator. Uh, There are rumors that this might kind of parlay into um, them popping up in other things, possibly new streaming shows, though I don't know if I would, if I could see an Alien or Predator series popping up on uh, Disney Plus anytime soon. Maybe Hulu. But There's a lot of talk on them crossing over in the comics with the Marvel Universe. I think it'd be really interesting, especially if you look back at some of the, like, Superman vs. Alien or Batman vs. Predator comics, which were really great, but never really went anywhere. Um, The Marvel Universe is much more about... um, kind of setting stuff in the real world and seeing as how the Alien and Predator movies, for the most part, like the early versions, especially the Predator movies, uh, dealt with a lot of real-world characters and real-world locations. Um, It would be interesting to see how they kind of cross paths. Um, I think a perfect opportunity for them to bring them in if they wanted to introduce them in the MCU, which I'm not saying they should, uh, but it'd be a cute little funny cameo if they decided during um, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, for one of the multiverses to be either Alien or Predator. I think it'd be fun, um, just as a quick blink-and-you-miss-it kind of deal. I don't want them crossing over, because they're very different, but um, in the comics, it's, you know, it's free reign. You can do whatever you want there. So moving on to TV news... um, um, we got a big announcement, big announcement for Fallout, Fallout, the critically acclaimed game series, though in recent years it hasn't been so critically acclaimed, um, is coming to Amazon. Amazon announced that it is going to be working with Bethesda on a Fallout streaming show, and it's going to be helmed by the creators of Westworld. So I think that's really cool. They've done a great job with Westworld of really leaning into the science fiction aspects of it, and that is Fallout to a T. So I'd be interested to see what they do. They've got a wide world of characters, creatures, and locations that they can mess with, and I think it'll be fun, especially if they really put some time and budget into it. And then also in TV news, which I guess kind of leads into our uh, main segment for this week regarding the Arrowverse. It's uh, it's Stargirl, Stargirl News. Um, For those of you who haven't been watching it on the uh, DC Universe app, uh, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's very much geared towards, uh, you know, the YA audience, young adult audience. Um, So it's not exactly my cup of tea, but I love all of the JSA love that is put into the show. So keep giving me that and I'll keep watching the show. Um, It has officially gotten renewed for a season two. And not just that, it will be moving off of the DC Universe app 
to the CW, which puts it at a prime position to enter and cross over with the Arrowverse. We do know, according to Crisis on Infinite Earths, that Stargirl is taking place on Earth 2 in the multiverse, while uh, the Arrowverse proper is on Earth Prime, but... Who knows? Who knows exactly how that's going to cross over? Jeff Johns has talked about, uh, along with Greg Berlanti, about them crossing over at some point. But I think it's a smart move, especially uh, moving it over to the CW where it's going to get that uh, teen YA audience that it really needs to survive. Um, I think this sucks for the DC Universe, though, because it feels like they're stripping it bare very quickly. We've already talked about uh, Doom Patrol moving to being kind of simulcast on both HBO Max and um, the DC Universe app. We've talked about uh, Harley Quinn moving over and doing kind of the same thing with HBO Max. So it looks like, at least for now, the uh, the Titans show is really all of that's going to be like exclusive, exclusive to DC Universe. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm I've, like I said, I've been enjoying for what it is for Stargirl. You can't go in there expecting like a Doom Patrol. Um, but it's good. It's good for what it is. The budget and the love that's behind it, you can tell. Uh, and again, it's got JSA stuff. So I am sold on it automatically. And then moving finally into film news, two big pieces of news on both the Marvel and DC side. For DC, it looks like they're gonna be developing a Zatanna film, which I am absolutely down for. I love Zatanna. I love that character. The character deserves so much more than she's getting, and it looks like she is going to be finally taking center stage in the DC uh, filmverse. I'm not calling it the DCU anymore, because that is the Snyderverse now, and that is something else but Zatanna I'm really excited um I don't know who they would cast for it I am I have a deep-seated love for Ana de Armas I think she would kill it uh Aza Gonzalez would also be fantastic but I'm just excited about Zatanna like getting more attention she is a criminally underutilized character and she could be like the Doctor Strange or Scarlet Witch uh, for the DC Universe with how much attention that they've given to both of those characters with the MCU. So I will keep you updated as I learn things about it. I'll keep you guys updated, um, but we will see. And then on the Marvel side, it has been officially confirmed by the director uh, that in the Black Widow film, whenever that comes out this year, it's looking like November, but we'll see, uh, that... This will not be your typical solo film where um, it's like an origin story, even though it is sort of set in the past. But it looks like this is going to be uh, Scarlett Johansson's swan song to the character and that she will be officially handing the baton over to Florence Pugh, who plays Yelena Belova. So she is going to be the new Black Widow heading into Phase 4 and beyond. So we are getting essentially the passing of the torch uh, in multiple places, you know, Steve handing the shield to Sam, uh, Tony basically turning things over to Peter, and then now a new Black Widow. So, uh, oh, and uh, Natalie Portman getting the hammer from Chris Hemsworth. So we'll see. I'm interested to see what they do with it. Uh, Florence Pugh has been on the rise for a few years now, and her kind of stepping into this major role is great for her and great for her career. But Yelena Belova has never been a really beloved character in the comics, so I'm hoping that they can kind of turn that around and make her um, 
compelling because she is an interesting character. She just needs to be handled the right way. So we'll see what they do with that. But that's going to do it for the news this week. We are now going to roll right on into the main segment, the entree, if you will, of this week's episode, which is our first annual Geek Explained Arrowverse Power Rankings. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first annual Geeksplained Arrowverse Power Rankings. Uh, this is something that I've been thinking about for a while, especially after um, I first got the idea while watching Crisis on Infinite Earths earlier this year. It feels like, you know, five years ago when Crisis on Infinite Earths came out, because 2020 has been the longest decade of my entire life. But um, I really wanted to kind of put this together and kind of list off how I would rank the uh, Arrowverse uh, shows. I guess this will be the f- first and last time I can call it the Arrowverse since Arrow it ended this year. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But um, yeah, this is the first annual. I'm hoping to make this like a yearly thing where at the end of each season for the Arrowverse shows, I'll put them up, see where they stack up against each other, and find out which is the fairest of them all. So uh, we're going to be ranking all six current uh, as of this recording, uh, six current Arrowverse shows, and that does include Arrow because it wrapped up this year. So let's just go ahead and dive into it. So first off at the number six position ranking in last place is unfortunately the newest of the shows, and that is Batwoman. Batwoman was... Um, it had a lot of hype around it. Uh, Batwoman, I think, had a really strong debut in uh, last year's Elseworlds crossover. I thought she did great. Ruby Rose got a lot of attention when she was cast. I thought it was a weird choice, but I rolled with it. And they seemed to as well, because the pilot episode had a really... It was a really strong debut. The first couple episodes really uh, tried to sell you this world and this character and this Batmanless Gotham City. But as the season went on, the momentum slowed. Uh, I saw a lot of people dropping off on it. I myself uh, stopped really like keeping up with it as much as I should have. I did end up finishing the season, but it wasn't as, uh, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was trying to be, and I don't know if they knew what it was trying to be, because they it could, you could tell that they really wanted to make a Batman show. They've wanted to make a Batman show since Arrow was the original Batman light <laughs> show way back when it debuted. But having Kate Kane as Batwoman opened up a lot of possibilities, because Kate Kane Batwoman is a super cool character. If you haven't... Um, listen to our episode it is way back in the archives Uh, i did a full episode just talking about how great kate kane is as a character 
And I don't think that this show really did that character justice. She continually kind of rode the line of female Bruce Wayne. And it didn't help that they continued to call her, oh, you're like a female Bruce Wayne. It just, it felt like the show, um, much like the first season of Supergirl, which we'll get to later, um, it felt like the show was constantly under the shadow of the Batman and I know that sounds cliche but it really was Um, the show was predicated on being in the shadow of Bruce Wayne where it was like Bruce Wayne and Batman have been gone for three years the you know underlying mystery is what happened there Um, but at the same time the show really was it had a lot of potential Uh, I was focused on more obscure Bat you know, rogues gallery, like Dula Dent, who I think they did not do enough with. Alice, who was the main villain for the first half of the season before she got really complicated with, you know, Crisis and the alternate Alice. And then they even brought in characters like Julia Pennyworth, who I absolutely loved in the comics and, again, was not well served in this show. Um, This very much felt like the worst parts of the first season of Supergirl, which I will go on record and say I enjoyed. I enjoyed the first season of Supergirl. I think well, I'll, I'll talk more about Supergirl later. But um, the show really needed uh, stability. It needed to know what it wanted to do. It needed to know what it wanted to say and what kind of stories it wanted to tell. And it felt like it made compromises and didn't really know exactly what it wanted to be um, for the entire season, which is unfortunate. They shifted gears halfway through, which is typical for a CW show, but I thought that Alice was a much more compelling villain than any of the other villain characters that they brought in towards the end of the show. Um, Cartwright and, like, all of the, like, oh, he was really his father, but he's not, you know, with Mouse and all that. I just, I, I didn't care. I didn't care, and that was the unfortunate part because they really... For the first couple episodes, you got this feeling of, like, they are really taking this seriously, and they are going to make this as good as it can be. But unfortunately, it just didn't work that way, which sucks, because I feel like in the last few years, a lot of people, a lot of people have suddenly soured on the Arrowverse, where for the first... You know, a few years before that, you know, it was firing on all cylinders and people loved it. They're like, this is the this is my DC universe. And now it feels like in the last year or two, like people have really kind of turned their backs on it, which sucks, especially with how good Crisis on Infinite Earths was. And I I think it's unfortunate that Batwoman uh, unfortunately kind of fell on its own sword there. And then I had to rank it at the bottom here because at the end of its first season, they lost their lead. Uh, Ruby Rose officially exited the show. Uh, We've heard, we've talked about it before on the podcast about her, you know, not wanting to stick around on the show too much. She wasn't ready for what the lead of a TV show meant. Um, Her getting injured, having to do emergency surgery. Um, It just felt like she signed on for something that, she signed on for a different experience than she got. And so she left the show. The show is in flux now. Uh, and it puts season two in jeopardy because they now have to, 
cast an entirely new lead. They've made the decision to not recast Kate Kane with the hopes of bringing Ruby Rose back in the future. Um, but they now have this Ryan Wilder character, which I hope to God is just a name placeholder because they don't want to spoil who the new character is. I'm still holding out hope for a Harper Rowe. I would even settle for a Stephanie Brown, but we'll see. Um, it's unfortunate as well because so much of the supporting cast for the show really centered around their connections to Kate. Um, it's like basically saying, oh, you know, Arrow's going to keep going, but with a brand new character who we've never met before. Um, it kind of devalues the story and the show itself because now you're going to have to invent all of these new connections for the this new, and I'm going to use quotations here, Ryan Wilder character. So the show, honestly, it feels like they should just scrap it and pull up a new show. Um, but we'll see. We'll see exactly what happens with that. It's unfortunate, but again, with all of the um, new developments, the way the show kind of petered out near the end, and with their lead leaving the show, it had to rank dead last unfortunately in this year's power rankings moving on to number five number five we have legends of tomorrow and it pains me to rank it this low because legends of tomorrow is the fun one legends of tomorrow is the fun show the show that y you can just put on not know anything that's happening and still have a fun time with it um, unfortunately, just like with Batwoman and just like other shows on this list, um, the cast shakeups have really hurt it. Um, Legends of Tomorrow was kind of predicated on this time travel adventure when it first debuted, and since then it has kind of evolved into a completely different show um this the stories are still fantastic the character dynamics are great it's just a very different show than it originally was even for the first two seasons um now we're in what season four and it feels like a completely different show which is unfortunate because if you take it just at face value of what it is um it's fun it's a great time the characters are great the stories are hilarious um but it has lost kind of the dynamic of what it originally was. And it doesn't help that the original core cast has been whittled down to the final two characters, that being Sarah Lance and Mick Rory. Um, arguably, and this is no um, disrespect to either of those characters or those actors who do phenomenal jobs in their roles, the least interesting of the original cast. Um, it's unfortunate because... A lot of the, um, a lot of the, I would say, benefits of having these characters kind of all pulled together into the first couple seasons was like, oh, this feels like almost like a West Coast Avengers style show where you pull in standouts from all the, um, all the Arrowverse shows, throw them together, and you're going to see what happens. Um, what it's kind of turned into is this uh, sci-fi romp that isn't really concerned with an overall plot. It's more concerned with how can we make this episode more fun and more wacky than the last episode. And the 
um, the kind of ties that pulled everything together are slowly unraveling with members of the cast leaving each season. Uh, the final straw for me was, you know, Ray Palmer. Ray Palmer, played by Brandon Routh, Ruth, however you want to pronounce it, um, has been kind of the linchpin, the heart and soul of this show since the very beginning. And him getting this uh, romance subplot with Nora, uh, bringing them kind of closer together throughout the last couple seasons has been great. It's been giving him a direction. Unfortunately, that direction has kind of been um, soured because they wrote them off this season. We talked about earlier um, in earlier episodes of this podcast that it was not uh, Routh's choice to be written off but that um, I guess they just didn't see eye to eye on where the character was going. So the episodes that kind of have the biggest leaps for his character, that being, um, I believe it was uh, Mr. Parker's cul-de-sac and then Romeo v. Juliet, Dawn of Justness, I think is the name of the episode, um, were essentially the send-offs for, uh, for Ray and Nora. And though though both of those are actually very good episodes, and I would argue some of the best episodes of the season, uh, you say goodbye to this character who has been with the rave wave rider since the very first episode, and it hurt. It sucks. And after that, you're left with these characters who. Um, while they're all interesting in their own right, aren't nearly as interesting together as the original cast was, or even the cast of two seasons ago. I think it got a big shot in the arm with adding Constantine to the cast. Um, Matt Ryan is fantastic, and he is he should have been on there from the beginning. However, um, his addition to the cast really has kind of shaken up the dynamic and made it less of a... Uh, family coming together in more of, I don't know, it, it felt like the family dynamic of the first two or even first three seasons has kind of gone away to a bunch of friends just kind of hanging out on the Wave Rider and going through time, which can be fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's a lot of fun to be had with this show and in this season. Uh, the finale, the season finale is probably the strongest or one of the strongest uh, season finales of the whole bunch, just because of everything that goes on that really feels like a culmination of the season. And I recognize that for a lot of these shows, uh, they were cut short because of coronavirus and uh, production getting slowed. But for me, I mean, come on, like any show that can use uh, Cisco's thong song and make it seem, seem appropriate um, in a giant battle scene is just... It's artistic acrobatics that you have to perform to make that work, and it works. And the, uh, the finale sets off a lot of potential for the next season with Sarah getting abducted by aliens. We're going to see what happens with that. Um, but I think that this show really needs to find its center. It needs to find its emotional core now that Ray is gone. And until it finds that, it is going to be at the lower tier of this list. Moving on to number four, we have Supergirl. And it it's uh, it's unfortunate that this show is so low because I think with all of the uh, positive changes that they made over the last couple seasons, it's really become one of uh, CW's stronger shows. But 
for me personally, and again, this is my completely subjective power rankings for the uh, for the uh, Arrowverse as a whole. Um, this season is probably one of the weaker seasons of the show. I still think probably season two, season three are among the strongest, if not the strongest, seasons of the show because of all the stuff that it tackled and. This season, even though it did have a through line all the way through, uh, had a through line of things that I didn't like. Um, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot of Bendis influences. And you know, and I recognize that this is my bias, but I will say it as long as he continues to write the Superman books, I do not like Bendis Superman. I do not like the choices that he makes. I do not like the... Um, complete character destructions and aging ups and unconscious uncouplings that he has made throughout the his run on the book you can have beautiful art you can have fun action sequences but the heart of the character has been turned into something that bendis wants to write rather than speaks to the core of superman and unfortunately it's had a lot of influence on this season they've taken a lot of the bendis run and included it here with uh, leviathan and the use of characters in bendis's run the use of the direction of bendis's run um and it bothers me it sucks because i love the new suit i love the new supergirl suit i think it's awesome i really enjoy um all of the interplay between Kara and the Luthors, both Lena and Lex. I love Jonathan Cryer as Lex Luthor. I didn't think I was going to, but he's fun. He's campy. He reminds me of the best parts of Hackman and, unfortunately, Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor's kind of dialed in to make him a little bit more cerebral, which I enjoy. Um, Lena's story kind of flip-flopping back between her, um, her better nature and... The background that she comes from I thought was interesting. Uh, this show has the most influence and the most repercussions from Crisis on Infinite Earths, which makes it automatically really, uh, I think, really interesting. You get episodes like the Bottle episode, where uh, Brainiac 5 has to deal with his stranded uh um, doppelgangers from different worlds that were destroyed during the crisis and we have to you know decide how that's gonna move on you have all of these crisis shakeups where uh, the DEO is now founded by Lex Luthor and they've been good people um, all of that stuff really makes the show more interesting to me because one of the things that I really wanted to see come out of crisis were status quo shakeups things that would affect the characters and the storylines and i think that supergirl pulls that off really well by having characters have to kind of react and deal with all of the changes due to crisis however uh the, like the stuff just kind of falls flat for me um the battles against the you know the gods basically the bear the benders uh the element benders from um from this season really didn't do it for me they aren't nearly as interesting as previous season uh villains jonathan crier as a Luthor, i will say again absolutely kills it and i would wouldn't mind seeing him more like step up into a uh more centralized villain uh, uh role because he's been very kind of side villain kind of perpetuating things making deals which is true to lex's character but i mean i don't know 
I just, I really think that, again, with certain cast shakeups, the way that they have taken characters, um, Alex didn't need a superhero persona vigilante thing. The suit looks fine. I think the makeup looks stupid and her just using a hood and doing all of the same things that she was doing as a DEO agent, just with more flips, um, doesn't really serve the character. I like that in the last... A uh, few episodes, they brought back Magan, made her more of a um, more of a centralized character. I love, love, love the stuff between uh, Brainy and uh, Dreamer. Their stuff has been great. Um, I really like the makeover that they gave to Brainiac Five, making him look closer to his comic counterpart. But overall, the show itself, the storyline, really isn't uh, something that I. Uh, jive with and once again it's unfortunate because they didn't really get to complete the story um but they left it off with a good cliffhanger uh so that like i said there's this show really is a mixed bag for me i wish that they were giving it more time i wish they were giving it um letting it kind of stand on its own a little bit more than really like leaning on uh recent comic stuff because the recent comic stuff has not been good and I just hope that next season becomes more interesting and uses less Bendis. So that is why it is at number four. At number three, we have The Flash. I know it's surprising. It pains me to put it, put it this low. Um, I need to stress that anything that's in the top three uh, are not objectively bad shows. None of these shows are objectively bad. Um, even Batwoman, who which I really just fell off near the end. I still found things that I liked about it. But The Flash, oh man, just like Supergirl, it's a mixed bag. The only reason I would say that this ranks above Supergirl is, again, it's it's utilizing a lot of recent comic stuff, which you always kind of have to um, be cautious with because there's a reason that a lot of the... Um, mainstay comic uh, characters and storylines from like the 60s, 70s, and 80s keep getting reused because they were good stories. Um, and the more recent stuff has to be taken with a grain of salt because it you don't really know how it's going to age. Um, but thankfully, all the stuff that they brought in from the recent Joshua Williamson arc has been really good. You know, the black hole... Uh, the black hole narrative, I think, has been really interesting. And maybe it's because, because uh, you know, on paper, the black hole and Leviathan storylines can be looked at very similarly. But I just, I'm more interested in black hole than I am in Leviathan. Um, black hole has been interesting. The Godspeed mystery has been great. Um, I really like Godspeed. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but I really enjoy him. It's sad that they're not using the August Heart narrative, but I recognize that it's too similar to a lot of um, Flash's storylines where it's like, oh, we got a new villain. He's masked. We don't know his identity. Oh, we also have this character who is, you know, friends with everybody. And whoops, he gets revealed to be the evil speedster near the end. And now we got to deal with that. That was the through line for basically the first three seasons of the flash so i respect that they didn't want to go that route and making godspeed be kind of these drones for possibly the god of lightning later on we'll see um i think is a good use of that character and like sets him up without making him feel too similar to characters like zoom as avatar i also liked 
The villains. The villains, I think, for this season are strong. Uh, stronger than last season, for sure, especially when it comes to Cicada, who was really, really interesting at first, and then when we got to Cicada 2, just, like, petered out, and they realized that, so they fell back on the Thawne train, which is never bad. I think Thawne is the best villain that they've had, and I think Thawne is the best villain for the show, but... Um, it did feel like they kind of fell back on it because they knew that it was working and season five wasn't exactly the strongest season. Um, but thankfully, this show got a shot in the arm with the storyline uh, having to do with the new Mirror Master as well as the first half being with Bloodwork. I really dug Bloodwork. Uh, bringing in the actor, I oh God, uh, that's going to bother me. Um, so I'm going to look up his name... Uh, Sendhil Ramamurthy, who is a fantastic actor who I first uh, saw when watching uh, Heroes, love Heroes, um, did a fantastic job. And seeing him pop up again at the end or uh, in the latter half of the show as kind of a prisoner, I thought was great. He is a fantastic actor. The um, the character work with that was great. The effects, the uh, narrative with him, I thought was really strong. Um, however. Once again, and I think this is a just a running theme throughout all uh, four of the shows we've talked about so far, uh, the cast, the fluctuating cast really hurts this show. Uh, they kind of got rid of Cisco for some of the show and then brought him back. They're not sure what to do with him. And they've never really known what to do with Cisco, but it feels more prominent here because he gave up his powers at the end of season five and he got them back for crisis. And now seemingly he doesn't have them again or he does have them again. It's unsure. Um, Caitlin Snow, they had to write off uh, Danielle Panabaker for maternity leave. And uh, so two thirds of your original team flash are um, fluctuating in and out of the cast. They also sidelined Iris, which I get, I get because, you know, where do you go for you know, to make it different from the last five seasons of The Flash. Um, I liked that. I liked that they separated them and the two of them are trying to find each other. I loved the idea of the death of the Speed Force and having to uh, kind of jumpstart it and create an artificial Speed Force. I liked that aspect of it. Uh, bringing back Wally West for that one episode was great. I wish we got more of him. But um, we've also, we got to talk about uh, Ralph because Ralph... This was a defining season for Ralph Dibney, for the Elongated Man. And he was fantastic. He was so good. Um, it was really, really well done. They brought in Sue Dearborn. They got to finally have Ralph and Sue together. And I love their dynamic. I love the actress they got for her. Um, all of their stuff was so fun. But then Hartley Sawyer had to ruin it by being a garbage person. And it's, it's unfortunate because he is no longer with the cast following the end of this season and all of his controversial tweets. Um, it sucks. It sucks uh, that the character and the show as a whole has to suffer because of it, especially with how the show kind of ended, once again, end, ending short, but with a great, great uh, cliffhanger. There's a lot of potential for next season, but now, I mean, uh, we're going to have to see exactly what they do with, um, with Sue, with Ralph. Um, I'm assuming they're going to go on the run and girl, going to get stuff with Sue. Um, 
the finale itself was also kind of so-so. They talked about, oh, there's going to be a big fight, and the fight, I just, I didn't care about the fight. Um, I've been very interested in the Nash and um, his whole, you know, Council of Wells inside of his head dynamic. I've been really liking that. Um, like I said, the artificial speed force has been great. The suit, the new suit that Barry has is the best suit he's had in the entire show. Um, and again, like all of the Mirror Master stuff I thought was really interesting and a different route to go with that character. And I'm interested to see what they do. The ending cliffhanger with all their stuff really is interesting. And there's huge potential for season seven, especially with how this season was supposed to end with a big Thawne twist. Once again, bringing in the Thawne. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I am very hopeful. I think this has the biggest potential out of all of the shows so far to have a kick-ass next season. But unfortunately, because of all of the um, little things about it that really uh, brought it down to the third spot on this list. At number two, we have a show that can only be on this list this year, and that is Arrow. Arrow is going out as one of the strongest shows of the uh, Arrowverse, and the final season was one of the strongest seasons in the entire show. Um, I will I will still argue that season two is the strongest season of the entire show, but this really ranks up there. If you would like me to do a full ranking on the Arrow seasons, feel free to let me know. But um, for this one, it goes out on top. It goes out on a fantastic season that really um, was a celebration of the series itself. Brought back so many characters, um, whether in flashback or not. Uh, Oliver got to Earth Hop. We got to see uh, cast members who we missed dearly uh, with interesting versions of characters on other Earths and other timelines. I thought it was really, really cool. Um, getting to kind of go through the greatest hits of Arrow in the lead-up to Crisis, with, I think, just the last two or three episodes of the series being post-Crisis. Um, it was really good. It was really good getting to see all of these characters again. Um, really, Stephen Amell putting in some of the best work of his... Of, his entire resume of the show. Uh, the fantastic fight choreography has to be talked about. That's always been a strength for this show, and it is on full display here, especially when you look at that finale. Uh, the character work for everybody, especially um, especially uh, Oliver Queen, really, really selling the bonds, which has always been the strength of the show, is its character dynamics. Um the finale, unfortunately, is not the strongest of shows. Um, it's not the strongest episode of the season and really focuses more on the uh, the supporting cast kind of dealing with Oliver being gone. Oliver really was the heart and soul of that show, so it felt almost a little empty. Um, it being a flashback, I thought, was good because you did get to involve Stephen Amell in it in his classic season one gear. Um, and I love just the dynamic between the two of them. It was really good. Um, but him, along with uh, Diggle, Diggle has also it was kind of been a one-two punch of the two of them really being the heart and soul of the show. I love that they gave him a satisfying ending. This was really more of Diggle's finale than of Oliver's. And I love that they teased Green Lantern at the end of this. Um... I just, ah, I, I think that they, 
I love that they left it ambiguous. I love that we don't know what's going to happen to him from here. Him moving to Metropolis, I think, is a good sign for um, him to show up in shows like Supergirl, like Superman and Lois, which will kind of, I guess, be taking its place, taking this show's place uh, in next year's power ranking. Fingers crossed. I'm really excited for that show to come out. But um, as a whole, this kind of being the crisis series leading or the crisis season leading into crisis, I thought really helped it and gave it a clear and uh, distinct direction. I think all of the performances here were fantastic. It being, again, a celebration of the show itself was great. Bringing back all of these characters who we missed so dearly um, and giving them, I think, for the most part, not everybody, but for the most part, satisfying endings, I thought was really good. And overall, it's just, it's one of the stronger seasons of Arrow, and Arrow has been the flagship for this uh, multiverse. So having it kind of go out as strong as it did, I think, really uh, sells why it is at the number two position. But it is not at the top position, and it might surprise people what the top position is, but it's the only show I haven't talked about yet, and at the number one spot is Black lightning black lightning is so good i can't tell you enough how good this show is um the narrative is fantastic the cast the cast is so strong the cast is incredible uh jefferson pierce is one of the best superhero leads in all uh live action superhero media fight me you can you'll lose um he's fantastic his family is amazing they made me care about characters that i shouldn't care about I shouldn't care about Khalil. I shouldn't care about Painkiller. But they gave him a fantastic arc, even after killing him off last season. Um, the the recent season, season three, is also really good. It's a it's proper. It's in it's a perfect example of proper escalation from previous seasons. Each season does not feel like its own unique story, even though season one you could probably chalk up to being its own unique story. But season one to season two to season three is a great trilogy of stories that um, all culminate and all com- escalate from episode to episode from season to season until we're going to all-out war in the final season, which I loved. Um, I also love that this season really, and this show, stands on its own. Um, It's very clear from the get-go, from the beginning of the show, that this is on a separate Earth from literally everybody else. And even the episodes that do cross over, we have the Crisis episode, um, or the lead into Crisis episode, which I really love. I love that it was presented as something that felt both natural to the characters involved, as well as kind of being out of nowhere. And then post-Crisis. Post-Crisis, they they recognize, like, hey, crazy shit happened. All right, back to our normal, you know, your regularly scheduled programming. And I loved that. I loved that it did that, because it was telling a story that didn't involve any of the other shows, and it stuck to its guns, and I really appreciated that. The villains are fantastic. The uh, drama between bringing in, you know, Markovia versus the ASA versus Black Lightning. All of that is so good. The metahuman trafficking, the metahuman experimentation, you know, kind of using that to mirror the experience of black men and women in today's society is fantastic. Talking about police brutality with the ASA, it's just so topical, it's so current, and it makes sense why this is one of the strongest shows because it's from an honest perspective. Um, The seasons are also short and sweet. They don't have 
any of the filler that other that the other shows have. Every episode matters. Every episode pushes the narrative forward. Uh, the first season, I think, is 13 episodes, 12 or 13 episodes, and season two and season three have been 15 to 16 episodes each, which is so good when you're trying to binge it, when you're trying to catch up on it, when you're trying to just watch it. I will always kick myself for not jumping on this show when it debuted, but I am so happy that this year I got to binge all of it and get it all, or at least the binge the first two seasons uh, up to Crisis and then get caught up on season three post-Crisis. It is such a strong show and it is so well done that you can forgive some of the CW-isms. You know, some of the uh, high school drama, you utilizing a younger cast when it's really, the show is Jefferson Pierce and his family. It is the Pierces. It is, um, Jefferson Pierce, it is Lynn, it is Thunder, it is Lightning, um, alongside all of the bigger trappings of the ASA, of the metahuman outbreak, of Green Light, of Markovia. It's really well done, and the only like negative for me is that I don't know where they go following this finale. Uh, we do know that it is uh, it has been renewed for fourth season, which you would be crazy not to with how good this show is, um, but... I don't know where you go from here because the fine the finale, which is again a fantastic finale, one of the best out of all of these shows, um, wraps up pretty much everything that we had in their conflict for the first three seasons. I don't know where they go from here um, with all of the storylines seemingly wrapping up. We do have um, oh, why am I blanking on his name? Oh, God, that that is going to bother me. So once again, I am riffing while I look up the character's name. But he is the villain of the... He's basically the overarching villain of all of the... Um, of all of the seasons, even though he really didn't get... He wasn't the focus of season three, but he had a really interesting uh, dynamic through this. I'm still riffing as I'm trying to figure this out. Um, but I loved all of the... Uh, all the drama with Lynn going through an addiction. I loved all the stuff with, um, with lightning trying to learn about her new powers with thunder kind of taking her, uh, blackbird persona and becoming like this rebellious Tobias whale. Um, Tobias whale is a fantastic villain. He has been from the get go. He is exactly what Cottonmouth was in Luke cage. Just, he never died. It's so good. He's so fantastic. Um, but I really liked that um, Thunder became essentially this freedom fighter leading this resistance. So overall, the show is fantastic. It is an absolute blast. Go on Netflix. Watch all of these shows. But most importantly, go watch uh, Black Lightning. It is the best CW show, in my humble opinion, going on right now. And it is absolutely worth your time. So to recap, the current 2020 power rankings for the CW Arrowverse stand as thus. In sixth place, we have Batwoman. Fifth place is Legends of Tomorrow. Fourth place is Supergirl. Third place is The Flash. In second place, and its final ranking, as well as its first ranking, is Arrow. And at the number one spot, we have Black Lightning.
I missed that intro. I just want to hug it. I love it. I missed it. I love it so much. Um, It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where each week I review something. Yeah. I'm still working on that intro for this segment. We're, We're two years in. And I'm, or three years, I guess, technically. Um, and I'm still working on it. We're, we're going to figure this out together. But I am so excited because we are back with Doom Patrol Season 2. And this is going to be different from your typical weekly review because this is a giant-sized weekly review. Because we've got some episodes to catch up on. Uh, Doom Patrol has been out for a couple weeks now. Um, we're still reviewing Harley Quinn Season 2 at the time, which I love. And so... This past weekend, I was going to catch up on Doom Patrol, and I did not realize at the time when I was getting ready to do this, we talked about it last week, they dropped three episodes with that first um with that first debut. So uh, you can check it out on DC Universe and HBO Max, which is fantastic. So whichever one you have, or if you have both like I do, uh, you can watch it wherever you want. And you should watch it because it's so good. But um, that, along with this past week's episode, means we've got four episodes to review, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to go ahead and jump into it because we've got a lot to cover. First off, episode one, entitled Fun Size Patrol, is the season premiere. We're back. All these characters that we loved along with the debut of a new one. So this episode really kind of um, is right where we left off. Uh, the Dude Patrol, with the exception, uh, the entire Dude Patrol, with the exception of Larry, is uh, fun-sized. They are tiny. They are the tiny patrol uh, living on a table. And Larry has been figuring, trying to figure out how to get them back, along with Niles. Um, Cliff has been getting this. It's you can tell um, that Cliff holds a lot of ill will towards the rat that uh, screwed with him last season, because he has been systematically going out each day and fighting a different rat. You see on walls like he's put um, tally marks. Maybe it's the same rat. I think it's different rats, technically. Um, but Cliff has been dealing with all this stuff. Um, everybody is pretty much where they were when we left them, with the exception of our brand new character, which is Dorothy. Dorothy is the daughter of Niles Calder, and her perspective is actually where we start the episode. She's basically in a carnival of freaks, uh, way in the past, and she, for those of you who aren't familiar with the character, uh, she has imaginary friends that she makes real. Um, this includes the, like, giant bear wolf antler thing that Niles, uh, met when he initially met the indigenous woman, uh, last season that we saw, uh, but the most dangerous, uh, imaginary friend that Dorothy has is the candle maker who seems like he is going to be the big bad for the season. Um, we also got in this episode, uh, looks into the past, uh, which have always been a strength for this show. But for this one, I think it's really interesting that they're taking different looks at aspects of the past, specifically of Larry and cliff that we didn't see last episode. Uh, last season specifically that Larry was kind of a shit dad um maybe that's too harsh but he was um 
he was, you know, that military dad who didn't really know how to connect to his son. And it was, it was really, it was heartbreaking to watch that. And I thought it was um, really interesting that we are going to be exploring more of that family dynamic for Larry going forward. Uh, Cliff, also, we got to see a little bit of his past, uh, interacting with his dad, um, pre him becoming, you know, that famous NASCAR driver. Uh, so I think it's interesting. Uh, Rita is on her own journey because she is trying to train up her abilities to become a superhero, just like Cyborg. And I love that, um, at least at the point that this episode was, uh, Cyborg was trying was uh, gearing up to kind of mentor her to be a superhero, but it didn't really work out that way. Um, meanwhile, Niles, after exhausting all of his scientific capabilities, uh, goes and bargains with Willoughby, who uh, returns for this episode. And they mention Eisman, the last name Eisman, who is a Doom Patrol character. Um, we'll see if he ends up showing up later. We'll get more into depth with him, but he's an interesting character, even though he's kind of a minor character in the Morrison run. Um, I also really like that we got to see more of Jane's addiction. Um, which I'm pretty sure is a band. I could be wrong. Let me know. Let me know if... I, I feel like Jane's Addiction is a band. Anyway, um, Jane is using the serum that she got from the first season as basically like uh, like a heroin substitute. And so uh, she is on the verge of getting overthrown by the rest of the underground. Cyborg has is basically dealing with some PTSD from all the revelations that he... Um, experienced at the end of the first season which i love they're really giving him a direction and he was kind of the odd man out with uh the first season he was the most well adjusted out of all of them so i like that they're giving him something to do uh, and this episode ends off with the reveal that niles is dying and let me just say just as a general note for all of these episodes it is so good that they decided to finally have timothy dalton in the budget because he works so well with these characters um we're getting more with him there's a great moment in this first episode where he's talking to um to dorothy all of his interactions and i'll go on to talk a little bit more about um about him and uh, Dorothy later on, but he is just a treasure. Timothy Dalton is so fantastic in all of these episodes, and I'm really glad that he is a series regular here and not just like a guest star. So that finishes up Fun Size Patrol and leads us into episode two entitled Time Patrol. Uh, this episode, we get the official confirmation that Niles is 139 years old. And he has been using the continuinium, the continuinium, the serum that he derived to allow him to live as long as he has, along with his compatriots. And um, the it looks like the main goal for this season, besides possibly fighting the Candlemaker later on, um, is going to be trying to uh, save Niles from dying. Uh, we also got the uh, re-debut of Danny the Street, who is now Danny the Brick. Um, Danny the Brick is going to be a central character for these first few for this first arc, essentially. So I'm glad to see him. I'm always here for Danny. Uh, but the most interesting part for me of this episode was Cyborg. He is back in Detroit, it looks like, and he is 
going to a support group. And I love this because it's not just any support group. It's a support group for people, it looks like, who have suffered through um, trauma, PTSD. Um, at least one person is dealing with, you know, uh, physical scars just like he is. And it introduces us to his love interest, uh, Ronnie, who is a great character. And I really hope we get to see more of her throughout the rest of the season. Um, they also have a great little exchange that also feels very topical and current, even though this was filmed, you know, probably last year, early this year, either way, um, basically Ronnie gets, you know, almost gets mugged, uh, Cyborg calls the cops and Ronnie's like, no, don't call the cops. This kid is, you know, just a, um, just a product of the system. You need to give him a chance. So I really like that. I really like that we're getting more layers to Cyborg's, um, to the deconstruction of all of Cyborg's ideals and his persona and his self-image. I really, really like that, and that's one of the most interesting through lines, I think, for the season. Uh, we also got the debut of Dr. Time, who is just as ridiculous in the show as he is in the comics, which I love. Something that Doom Patrol does very well is they do not pull their punches on how ridiculous things are and characters are. Um, it was great. Uh, also great, probably my favorite, okay, outside of all the cyborg stuff, my favorite scene in the entire episode was Rita Farr's mission briefing. I just, Rita is trying so hard to be captain of the team, and she is so bad at it, but I love it so much. It, it, it really is giving all these new dimensions to Rita that I really appreciate and I really enjoy. Um, we also got to see the, uh, next step in um in larry's development looking at his past and his family bonds in that he finds out that his son gary who he um we saw him kind of not really connecting with and kind of neglecting in the first season um he died unfortunately and him and the uh, negative spirits are also kind of not on the same page once again which kind of feels weirdly um uh, orchestrated because I feel like they kind of made that connection over the first season and now it feels like they're out of whack again um, but Larry goes to his son's funeral and meets his other son uh, which I really liked I really enjoyed that um, there's also you know as as we go along just as in the first uh, season we're getting flashbacks to people's pasts um, specifically this one for Jane for this episode was, uh, the birth of Miranda, who was the original, um, kind of, uh, primary, I think is the word that they use, who is basically the primary, uh, personality to protect, um, to protect Kay. Uh, Jane now has that position as primary, but she is slowly losing it over the course of this first arc which uh, I think is interesting. And I still need, I would like to know more about Miranda. We know that she essentially killed herself by throwing herself into the well. Um, but I would love to know why she did that. I would love to know, um, you know, where these personalities go after they quote unquote die. But overall, really strong episode that, um, that builds off of the first episode's strengths. Then we get into episode three, which I think was probably... Um, probably the, 
I would say the strongest episode. It's not my favorite episode of the season. We'll get to that. But it's probably the strongest episode narratively. Um, we get a great little uh, scene of someone's past, but this time it's Niles. And he gets to meet Jack the Ripper, also known as Red Jack. Uh, Red Jack, who looks like he was ripped straight out of the comic book page. It's so fantastic. Um, this episode was really focused on Cliff and Niles and their different approaches to being fathers and how how their different approaches kind of mess with their views of each other, both as people and as fathers. Um, it's just, it's, I'm loving the dynamic that Niles is bringing to this. It's very Professor X and his uh, dynamic with the X-Men. And there's a reason that that character was modeled so heavily off of Niles because Niles is a fantastic character. And especially this version of the character is really, they're taking someone who is a garbage person in the comics and a little bit in this show, and they are making him more um, likable than he should be. Uh, we also have the intervention, the underground intervention with uh, Jane and the other members of the underground, which I liked. Um, it feels like the underground isn't as heavily focused on in this season, which makes sense because we kind of got that full underground adventure in the first season. Um, but I love, you know, seeing all of the actual like looks of the characters, Hammerhead, Baby Doll, um, everyone. Really, really well done, I thought. Um, and they give her the ultimatum that it's like, you need to leave or we are going to replace you as primary. Uh, and ultimately, when Jane does not leave, that's what happens. Um, we also get uh, more past with Larry, um, who is who was captured at the uh, basically the out, outset of this episode by Red Jack. Um, we got to see his past when he first arrives at uh, Doom Patrol Manor, uh, which I really liked. I liked. I love the relationship between uh, Larry and Rita. It's really, really done, well done. Um, this whole segment that I have listed in my notes as when Larry met Rita um, is really, really good. I love the fact that they kind of find solace in each other as the first two members of the mansion. And it's, it's just really sweet. Um, also, not as sweet was Cliff going to meet his daughter. Um, him and Niles butting heads. He leaves to drive down to Florida to meet his daughter officially. Uh, they kind of met last uh, last season at the wake of his uh, his old best fr his ex best friend and her uh, her stepdad, I guess. Um, but Cliff goes to officially meet his daughter, and it does not go well. Um, and it was really sad. But at the same time, you know. Brendan Fraser, and I'm so sorry, the actor who actually plays Robot Man, um, they work so well together but to create this character of Robot Man. And he is so endearing and funny, even when he's really um, hard to watch. Uh, the whole tantrum that he gives while being, you know, basically barred from entry to... Uh, his daughter's baby shower is really kind of sad, but also really entertaining. I thought it was really good. Um, Cliff is going to go on another journey here. And it looks like even though his relationship with Jane is probably the strongest it's ever been, um, he is now going to try and repair the relationship with his daughter. So we'll see if that happens. Uh, but the big kind of move forward for this episode was uh, Dorothy breaking Danny. Uh, accidentally breaks Danny the brick in half and that is going to perpetuate the events of next episode but um 
basically for Niles and Rita in the present day, they got to go rescue Larry from Red Jack. And Red Jack is terrifying. He is sadistic. He is malicious. He turns people into butterflies. It's disgusting. And body horror is always uh, welcome on this show and utilized very well. And it's no different in this episode. Uh, Red Jack, I wish we'd gotten more time with him because he seemed like a truly terrifying villain. But I like that they kind of subverted our expectations by having um, having Niles ultimately kill him at the end of this episode. But uh, the big push at the end of this episode was, as I talked about earlier, Niles and Dorothy. Um, the two of them, I love that Niles can walk this fine line between being, you know, really comforting and supportive dad and kind of a jerk asshole dad. Um, and that continues the next episode as well. But I love the conversation that he has with Dorothy. Um, Dorothy is distraught, rightfully so, over breaking Danny. Um, and she's just, just, she, she's so innocent. And I love the actress who's playing Dorothy because she's doing such a good fucking job with her. Um, she's having this conversation with Niles and she's like, does this make me a bad person? And he's like, no, he's trying to, um, not just, uh, reconcile with the idea of being a father. He's also trying to reconcile with the fact that he ruined the Doom Patrol's lives by turning them into what they are. And, um, he, he's like, oh, it's so, it's so good. He gets this, he's has this great scene where like, you know, he is talking to Dorothy and Dorothy is asking him these very real questions like, you know, does it make me a bad person if I broke it? And he said, no, as long as you, you know, apologize, you try to make it better and you try to fix it. And she's like, what if I can't fix it? And Niles doesn't have the answer to that. And it's very much echoing his relationship with the Doom Patrol. And there's this great moment after um, he kind of sends her off to bed where he kind of, he finally kind of lets go at the idea that he ruined these people's lives and he has to live with that. And so he pulls out the sketchbook for Robot Man 2.0, which I think is really interesting. Um, Cliff might be getting a redesign by the end of the season. We'll see. But um, I really liked it. Uh, there's also a great a killer line uh, near the end during the flashbacks with Rita and Larry where Rita says, lost causes aren't lost if there's, something, if there's someone to fight for them. And I think that is not just the thesis for this episode, not just for the season, but for the show. Because this really is a family show. It's a show about the idea, about the concept of family and finding your family, your chosen family, and how that, you know, isn't always easy, but it's not a lost cause. Lost causes aren't lost if there's someone to fight for them. And I love that. Which takes us into my favorite episode so far. Um, and the kookiest, wackiest episode, the most Doom Patrol episode of the season, which is Sex Patrol. That's right. But it's not that kind of Sex Patrol. Oh, maybe that kind of Sex Patrol. Anyway, this episode really is focused on Niles and Dorothy and Danny. Their relationship, their interpersonal, uh, their interplay, their, um, their chemistry and all of that. But the big reason that this is my favorite episode is because of motherfucking Flex Mentallo is back flex mentello has returned along with the other dannysons to the rescue um of of danny the brick to try and revive him and bring him back to full uh full fighting form i love the dannysons they're so fantastic they just breathe new life into the show um you will remember that one of my favorite episodes last season was the danny the street episode and this one is no different 
everyone from Flex Mentallo to Morally Corrupt are excellent characters who just they they bring a different energy to the cast and the cast is you know they struggle with a lot so having these more not completely but more well-adjusted characters i think is fantastic um rita and dorothy also get some great interplay even though their um their relationship is marred by rita's past uh experiences with her own mom and so her kind of being dorothy's surrogate mom colors the way that she handles that uh dorothy standout she has been a standout this entire season but this episode really really puts the spotlight on her she gets this great scene where she uh she essentially becomes dorothy wonka and she see she sings the um the come with me and you will be in a world of pure imagination that song um and as and as dumb as that would feel in literally any other tv show it works so well here it's so good um so basically the Dannysons are throwing a party for Danny to revive him. Uh Dorothy is a main crux of that. Um we also get Flex and Rita, which is my unofficial ship for the season, I think. Is probably what it is because Rita and uh Flex are probably the closest when it comes to uh time periods and there's a lot of chemistry between the two of them if I do say so myself. Um, but Rita basically is told that she needs to clear her mind so that she can um, basically get her mojo back so that she can get a bigger control of her powers. And she reveals to Flax that the only the only time that she has ever felt like her mind was clear was when Flex made everybody orgasm on Danny the Street. Uh, so she has him do it again, which unintentionally summons a sex demon. Uh, it also brings up uh, mental blocks from Rita, where she we get to see how she became a famous actress, and it's because her mom was performing sexual favors for the producers of said uh, films and such to get her these parts. Um, which is, you know, it's classic 50s Hollywood, which sucks and it's disgusting, but it's something that Rita had to live through. Uh, we also got some more Niles and Cliff, which was great. I love that Niles offered him ecstasy. It was fantastic. Um, oh, something I didn't mention about episode three. I don't know why I didn't have it written down. Uh, the Ronnie and Cyborg relationship escalated. Um, really, really love them. They are so good together. Um, but Ronnie basically revealed to Cyborg that um, she has kind of a dark past where she, it looks like she, uh, during her military service, killed a lot of people and was charged with manslaughter so um that kind of colored their relationship and basically um pushed cyborg to um to leave detroit and come back to the manor so he is now with everybody again um but this you know with all of the sexual energy and the sexual demon summoned the sex men and i just it's so dumb and i love it so much who are basically just like um sexual ghostbusters like they show up with sex ghosts and demons and all that stuff it was so good um specifically lieutenants kiss and torture which gave me very um umbrella academy vibes with um the two agents from that i really liked it they were fun um the sex demon is what it is it's just ridiculous and wonderful and i love it so much um but by the end of this episode uh they're able to jane is able to uh get or I guess technically would be Hammerhead, is able to defeat the sex demon and send him back 
whence he came to his dimension. Um, and Danny is revived by the party and the goodwill, uh, even though the candle maker is on the rise and almost made Dorothy kill Danny. Uh, there's a great, you know, conversation that Dorothy has with Danny the Street because he was basically, um, he was essentially forced by Niles to be her prison so that she, so that he could figure out how to control her abilities. And when Dorothy has this, you know, asks him, and it's heartbreaking because she's like, were you my friend or were you my prison? And Danny answers honestly, like, I wish I could say I was only your friend. And so the Candlemaker is whispering in uh, Dorothy's ear, basically talking about how he was never her friend. He's a prison. And I just, I really dig the direction they're going with that. So uh, we will see exactly what the Candlemaker ends up doing. He is growing in power. He's going from just words to complete sentences. And so he's growing in power as Dorothy is starting to become disillusioned with Niles and with everybody involved. But overall, a hell of a strong start for this season. We've only got, I think, four or five more episodes, which it hurts me because it's going to end too soon. But I am really excited to see where this season goes. I love all these characters. Um, Danny has been revived, and he is now Danny the Tire, which opens the door for him to become the van that he is in the recent um, Gerard Way and Nick Darrington comics uh, to open the door for Danny Land, the full amusement park and all that stuff. So we will see. We'll see what happens with them if we get to see them again. I hope we do, but if we don't, I get it. Um, overall, like I said, I loved all of these episodes. Season 3 is probably the strongest as a narrative episode, but Season 4 is my favorite because it's the most Doom Patrol episode. Um, and I can't wait. I can't wait to see where we go from here. Uh, but that is going to do it for this week's weekly review. Tune in next week for episode five, entitled, 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 bleh, entitled Finger Patrol. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but for now, we are going to roll into the return, the grand return of this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. Oh, that feels so good. It feels so good to say that again. It's been a while. It's been a little while. Um... This is the return, the official return of this week's Comics Countdown since we suspended the segment due to COVID kind of throwing, just like every industry, the comics industry into disarray. Comics are steadily making their comeback uh, through, the, uh, through the lens of distribution, through um, new releases, releases that should have happened months ago. Um, we're getting our comics, so I'm going to be talking about uh, comics that I think you should absolutely be checking out this week, whether or basically however you get your comics, I think you should absolutely check these out. But before we get into this week, we got to take a look at last week with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. Ah, I missed that too. Um, and of course, it's I don't think it's a surprise to anybody, but the Geeksplain Pick of the Week for last week is Firepower. Firepower, finally! Uh, written by uh, Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney, the uh, prelude uh, trade along with the free comic book day 
uh, issue that came out uh, both together last week is my pick because it is so freaking good. Uh, the prelude is basically a 120-page um, first issue, and that along with essentially what is a, um, a stopgap prologue for the uh for the free comic book day issue into the first issue that will be dropping in august um it's just it's so good the art is spectacular the writing is fantastic robert kirkman who has always been amazing with his world building is on fire no pun intended, with the world that he is building in this book. Um, the book also, it's it's definitely taking a direction that I didn't expect for it, especially as you get more invested in the um, in the temple and the mysticism in the world that it's building in that um, in that introductory trade. Where the uh, book ends up going at the end of that, it takes a sharp left turn, but I'm still so interested in what's going to happen and how that is going to affect the characters and really the world of this new book. If you're a fan of The Walking Dead, if you're a fan of Invincible, if you're a fan of anything Robert Kirkman, you need to be picking this up. There's a reason, there's a reason that it was on the... It, has now the distinction of being one of the books that has been on both Comics Callback as well as Comics Countdown. It is so good, and I definitely think you should pick it up. But that was last week. Let's talk about this week. This week, we've got three books for you to check out, and we are starting off in the DC Universe with Batman number 94, written by James Tynion IV with art by Guillaume March. This is continuing the um, the... The designer saga, which we got a big reveal for the designer last issue, um, and I'm excited to see where the book goes from here because they're they're taking big swings. You can't say that uh, Tynan isn't maximizing his time on the book, so it is. It's one of the best books that DC's currently putting out, and I'm really excited for you guys to read it. I'm really excited to read it too. So um, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The designer's machinations have left Batman's life in tatters. Gotham City's ambitious rebuilding has skidded to a halt as new powers are rising to shape its destiny, and Batman is powerless to stop them. With no Alfred or Bat family to lean on, the Dark Knight stands alone against the ascendance of his greatest adversary. So, um, the designer's whole thing, which we find out is not exactly the designer's whole thing, um has been this gigantic plot that is just ticking along like a well-oiled machine. And I am really interested to see how Batman pulls himself out of the both figurative and literal rubble that he is buried under with this story. Moving on to our next book, the only Marvel book from this week, that is Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme, number five. Written by Mark Wade, art by Kev Walker. I'm so happy to be reading this book again. It's been months. Um, it's just, it's a great book. The art's fantastic. The story is fan fantastic. And I recently reread Doctor Strange, The Oath. So I am all in on Doctor Strange books. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Sorcerer Supreme, Robbed. 
Someone is stealing magical artifacts from Doctor Strange. With the help of Doctor Druid, Strange must go undercover to discover a magical black market arms dealing ring. But is Strange walking into battle with an ally or another enemy at his back? So again, I I really love this book. Um, I was surprised how much I really enjoyed the book, but it has been so good so far. And the... Um, the synopsis for this is actually very similar uh, to the to the oath. If you haven't read that book, it's a fantastic Doctor Strange story. I would absolutely recommend it. But um, this book has been really good, and I'm really excited to see where they go with it next. But the big book of the week, the book I think you absolutely need to pick up, is one of the most anticipated books of this year, which is Deceased Dead Planet number one of six. Written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison. I am so excited for this book, especially after having read Deceased the Unkillables, especially after currently reading Deceased uh, Hope at World's End and re reading the first Deceased book. Um, I'm all in and I'm super excited to read this. It's just ugh, so excited. Um, let's, go, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Let's check it out. After a corrupted anti-life equation turned billions into monsters, including Earth's greatest heroes, our planet was as good as dead. Years later, a distress call brings Damian Wayne, John Kent, and Cassie Sandsmark, the Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman of Earth 2, back to a dead planet. But what will this new Justice League find waiting for them? If life still exists on Earth, who or what is lying in wait for these heroes? The original creative team of Tom Taylor and Trevor Harrison reunite for the sequel to the 2019 blockbuster series, Deceased. I'm so excited about this. I love, love, loved Deceased. It was the most surprising book of... 2019 for me if you haven't yet go back listen to our full episode on deceased i really love the book and i love the world that uh tom taylor has built out from it the unco the unkillables was a fantastic uh companion piece to it there's a great um uh companion issue a great tie-in issue uh featuring um uh, mr miracle and uh barda as well to the uh, first book and then the digital only hope at world's end has been stellar so far so um i'm really looking forward to this i'm really excited to see what exactly uh has transpired over the i think they originally said four years but i don't know how many years has passed they definitely don't look if you look at like the cover just four years older do uh do damien john and cassie they look much older than that but we'll see We'll see. I'm looking forward to this. The book's going to be fantastic. Tom Taylor knows how to write uh, all of these characters so well. I'm hoping we get a little bit more of uh, Green Lantern, Dinah, and Oliver Queen because Tom's calling him Tom like we're familiar. Uh, <laughs> Tom Taylor's Green Arrow is something that I need in my life right now. So uh, that is going to do it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Batman number 94, Doctor Strange Surgeon Supreme number 5, and Deceased Dead Planet number 1 of 6. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast, feel free to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Also, feel free to give us a rating and review. Really helps us out, helps us grow the podcast, gets us out into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if on iTunes you give us a five-star rating and review, I will read them live here on the podcast. And I have to admit something. I have to be completely honest with you guys. Um, I am I am kind of dumb because um, I did not know that on the uh, Apple Podcast app that I use to kind of track uh, ratings, reviews, and such like that, um, it only shows me the American reviews that are written for this podcast. Uh, thankfully, I've uh, partnered up with... Uh, Chartable, which is this um, tracking for stats and stuff, that has notified me that we got another review. Not one week ago, but two weeks ago. So I am so sorry that I have not read this out first. But this, we have our second rating and review. I'm really excited. Um, we got our first one from Seafire and D on Apple uh, Podcasts. And here, our second rating and review comes to us courtesy of Josh from Panels to Pixels. Uh, Josh is fantastic. Thank you so much. You are a fantastic guy. A great lad, if I may say so myself. Um, I probably... I know, I know that sounds that sounds really bad. I'm just... I'm, I'm going to move on. But Josh and his... Uh, his channel on YouTube, Panels to Pixels, one of my favorite YouTubers of all time, especially when it comes to comic YouTubers. This guy has such a passion and honesty for what he's talking about. It's infectious. And if you have not checked out any of his videos, if you have not subscribed to any to his channel, you need to do so right now. I mean, finish this podcast, obviously. Or just pause it because you can come back to it. But go and do that stuff for Josh. He's fantastic and he has written us a hell of a review. So I'm going to go ahead and read it here. It is titled, Your New Favorite Geek Podcast. That makes me happy. Makes me smile. Uh, the review reads, I go through a lot of podcasts that talk about comic books, video games, movies, and all that other geeky stuff. And it's unusual to find one that is as well-informed as it is fun, friendly, and inclusive. The show's host, Eric, that's me, dissects a diverse range of nerdy topics with such passion and authenticity. Uh, the good vibes are contagious. I particularly enjoyed the recent episode of Superman as a champion of social justice. I thought it was respectful and measured and would recommend it to any new listeners. Josh, once again, thank you so much. You are amazing. Um, once again, go subscribe to his channel, Panels to Pixels. It's fantastic. And um, thank you so much. That Superman episode that we did a few weeks back is also one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. I've gotten a lot of great feedback on that episode talking about uh, Superman's history with politics and with social justice. It's a long history because Superman has been around for a long time. But um, I would agree with Josh that if it's your first time joining us, if this is your first episode, you want to find out what episode to go to next, definitely check that one out. Um, so once again, thank you to Josh. And feel free to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so I can read them on here. I would love to read more. So uh, once again to Seafire ND and now Josh for uh, letting me do that. I really appreciate it. Um, you can also, if you have any uh, letters for, if you have any questions for me, if you have anything you'd like me to cover, if you'd 
have anything you'd like me to, I guess, um, expand upon, feel free to write us. Uh, Geeksplained at gmail.com is the email address to send them to. I love interacting with you guys. I read everything you send me. If I'm not able to get back to it right away, uh, I apologize. I am super busy, uh, but I read everything and I really appreciate everyone that has reached out so far and I appreciate all the people that will continue to reach out. It's very nice. Uh, also, feel free to give us a uh, follow on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at Pod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. Um, and that's going to do it for this week's episode. I would love to know what everyone thought of this, uh, the topics that we covered. Uh, how do you feel about the news that we uh, covered here? Zatanna movie. Really excited about it star girl moving to cw xbox what expectations ah see what i did there? expectations for xbox uh do you have for their event on july 23rd how do you feel about the power rankings for 2020 uh do you agree do you disagree i would love to get your power rankings for the shows if you are keeping up with them and then how excited are you for the comics that we're covering how much do you love doom patrol if you love comics you should be watching Doom Patrol. You can find it on DC Universe and HBO Max. Um, I'm not sponsored by any of those, uh, either of those streaming services, but I could totally be sponsored by those streaming services. And I would love to get your opinion on how Doom Patrol is, how it kind of stacks up to season one. I'm going to withhold judgment uh, for how I feel about how season two and season one compare until the season is complete, but I cannot wait to watch episode five this coming Friday. So uh, stay tuned. Next week, we are going to be dropping a pretty exciting episode. Um, I'm just going to tell you what it is because I can't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to share the conversation with you. We're doing The Last of Us 2. I am going to be doing a full-on spoiler-filled review of the uh, of the game, just kind of talking about it, and I've got a special guest joining me for that conversation as well. So uh, tune in next week for that discussion, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Kazana. Thank you very much for listening. Be safe, and we will see you next time. 